Chapter Five, Part One of the Rosicrucian Mysteries by Max Heindel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. There are two classes of people in the world. One class, the vital and dense bodies, are so firmly cemented that the ether cannot be extracted under any circumstances, but remain with the dense body at all times, and under all conditions from birth to death. These people are insensible to any supersensuous sights or sounds. They are therefore usually exceedingly skeptic, and believe nothing exists but what they can see. There is another class of people in whom the connection between the dense and vital bodies is more or less loose, so that the ether of their vital bodies vibrates at a higher rate than in the first class mentioned. These people are therefore more or less sensitive to the spiritual world. This class of sensitives may be divided again. Some are weak characters, dominated by the will of others in a negative manner, such as mediums, who are the prey of disembodied spirits, desirous of obtaining a physical body when they have lost their own by death. The other class of sensitives are strong, positive characters, who act only from within, according to their own will. They may develop into trained clairvoyants and be their own masters instead of slaves of a disembodied spirit. In some sensitives of both classes it is possible to extract a part of the ether which forms the vital body. When a disembodied spirit obtains a subject of that nature, it develops the sensitive as a materializing medium. The man who is capable of extracting his own vital body by an act of will becomes a citizen of two worlds, independent and free. Such are usually known as invisible helpers. There are certain other abnormal conditions where the vital body and the dense body are separated totally or in part. For instance, if we place our limb in an uncomfortable position so that the circulation of the blood ceases, then we may see the etheric limb hanging down below the visible limb as a stocking. When we restore circulation and the etheric limb seeks to enter into place, an intense prickly sensation is felt due to the little streams of force which radiate all through the ether seek to permeate the molecules of the limb and stir them into renewed vibration when a person is drowning the vital body also separates from the dense vehicle and the intense prickly pain incident to resuscitation is also due to the cause mentioned while we are awake and going about our work in the physical world the desire body and mind both permeate the dense and the vital bodies and there is a constant war between the desire nature and the vital body the vital body is continually engaged in building up the human organism while the impulses of the desire body tend to tire and break down tissue gradually in the course of the day the vital body loses ground before the onslaughts of the desire body poisons of decay slowly accumulate and the flow of vital fluid becomes more and more sluggish until at length it is incapable of moving the muscles the body then feels heavy and drowsy. At last the vital body collapses, as it were. The little streams of force which permeate each atom seem to shrivel up, and the ego is forced to abandon its body to the restorative powers of sleep. When building has become dilapidated and is to be restored and put through repair, the tenants must move out to let the workmen have a free field so also when the building of a spirit has become unfit for further use it must withdraw therefrom as the desire body caused the damage it is a logical conclusion that that also must be removed every night when our body has become tired the higher vehicles are withdrawn 
only the dense and vital bodies are left upon the bed then the process of restoration commences and lasts for a longer or shorter period of time according to circumstances at times however the grip of the desire body upon our denser vehicle is so strong that it refuses to let go when it has become so interested in the proceedings of the day it continues to remunerate them over after the collapse of the physical body and is perhaps only half extracted from that vehicle then it may transmit sights and sounds of the desire world to the brain but as the connections are necessarily askew under such conditions the most confused dreams result furthermore as the desire body compels motion the body is very apt to toss about when the desire body is not fully extracted hence the restless sleep which usually accompanies dreams of a confused nature there are times of course when dreams are prophetic and come true but such dreams result only after complete extraction of the desire body under circumstances where the spirit has seen some danger perhaps which may befall and then impress the fact upon the brain at the moment of awakening it also happens that the spirit goes upon a soul flight and omits to perform its part of the work of restoration then the body will not be fit to re-enter in the morning so it sleeps on the spirit may thus roam afield for a number of days or even weeks before it again enters the physical body and assumes the normal routine of alternating waking and sleep this condition is called trance and the spirit may remember upon its return what it has seen and heard in the superphysical realm or it may have forgotten according to the stage of its development and the depth of the trance condition when the trance is very light the spirit is usually present in the room where the body lies all the time and upon its return to the body it will be able to recount to relatives all they said and did while its body lay unconscious where the trance is deeper the returning spirit will usually be unconscious of what happened around its body but may recount experiences from the invisible world a few years ago a little girl by the name of florence bennett in kankakee illinois fell into such a trance she returned to the body every few days but stayed with only a few hours each time and the whole trance lasted three weeks more or less during the returns to her body she told relatives that in her absence she seemed to be in a place inhabited by all the people who died but she stated that none of them spoke about dying and no one among them seemed to realize that they were dead among those she had seen was a locomotive engineer who had been accidentally killed his body was mangled in the accident which caused death the little girl perceived him there walking about minus arms with lesions upon his head all of which is in line with the facts usually seen by mystic investigators persons who have been hurt in accidents go about thus until they learn that a mere wish to have their body made whole will supply a new arm or limb for desire stuff is most quickly and readily molded by thought death after a longer or shorter time there comes to each life a point where the experiences which a spirit can gain from its present environment have been exhausted and the life terminates in death death may be sudden and seemingly unexpected as for instance by earthquake upon the battlefield or by accident as we call it but in reality death is never accidental or unforeseen by higher powers not a sparrow falls to the ground without divine will there are a long life's path partings of the way as it were on one side of the main line of life continues onward the other path leads into what we might call a blind alley if the man takes that path it soon ends in death 
we are here in life for the sake of gaining an experience and each life has a certain harvest to reap if we order our life in such a manner that we might gain the knowledge it is intended we should acquire we continue in life and opportunities of different kinds constantly come our way but if we neglect them and the life goes into paths which are not congruous to our individual development it would be a waste of time to let us stay in such environment therefore the great and wise beings who are behind the scene of evolution terminate our life that we may have a fresh start in a different sphere of influence the law of conservation of energy is not confined to the physical world but operates in the spiritual realms also there is nothing in life that has not its purpose we do wrong to rail against circumstances no matter how disagreeable we should rather endeavor to learn the lessons which are contained therein that we may live a long and useful life someone may object and say you are inconsistent in your teachings you say there it really is no death that we go to a higher existence and that we have to learn other lessons there in a different sphere of usefulness why then aim to live a long life here it is very true that we make these claims and they are perfectly consistent with the other assertions just mentioned but there are lessons here to be learned which cannot be learned in the other worlds and we have to bring up this physical body through the useless years of childhood though hot and impulsive youth to ripeness of manhood and womanhood before it becomes of true spiritual use the longer we live after maturity has been attained when we have commenced to look upon the serious side of life and started to truly learn lessons which make up for soul growth the more experience we shall gather and the richer our harvest will be then in a later existence we shall be so much more advanced and capable of taking up tasks that would be impossible with less length of life and breadth of activity besides it is hard to die for the man in the prime of life with a wife and growing family whom he loves with ambitions of greatness unfulfilled with hosts of friends about him and with interests all centered upon the material plane of existence it is sad for the woman whose heart is bound up in home and the little one she has reared to leave them perhaps without anyone to care for them to know that they have to fight their way alone through the early years when her tender care is needed and perhaps to see those little ones abused and she unable to lift a hand though her heart may bleed as freely as it would in earth life all these things are sad and they bind the spirit to earth for a much longer time than ordinarily they hinder it from reaping the experiences it should reap upon the other side of death and they make it desirable along with other reasons already mentioned to live a long life before passing onwards the difference between those who pass out at a ripe old age and one who leaves this earth in the prime of life may be illustrated by the manner in which the seed clings to a fruit in an unripe state a great deal of force is necessary to tear the stone from a green peach it has such a tenacious hold upon the fruit that shreds of pulp adhere to it when forcibly removed so also the spirit clings to the flesh in the middle of life and a certain part of its material interest remain and bind it to earth after death on the other hand when a life has been lived to the full when the spirit has had time to realize its ambitions or to find out their futility when the duties of life have been performed and satisfaction rests upon the brow of an aged man or woman or when life has been misspent and the pangs of conscience have worked upon the man and shown him his mistakes when in fact the spirit has learned the lessons of life 
as it must have to come to old age. Then it may be likened to the seed of the ripe fruit which falls out clean, without a vestige of flesh clinging thereto, at the moment the encasing pulp is opened. Therefore we say, as before, that though there is a brighter existence in store for those who have lived well, it is nevertheless best to live a long life and to live it to the fullest extent possible. We also maintain that no matter what may be the circumstances of a man's death, it is not accidental. It has either been brought about by his own neglect to embrace opportunities of growth, or else life has been lived to the ultimate possible. There is one exception to that rule, and that is due to man's exercise of his divine prerogative of interference. If we lived according to schedule, if we all assimilated the experiences designed for our growth by the creative powers, we should live to the ultimate length. But we ourselves usually shorten our lives by not taking advantage of opportunities, and it also happens that other men may shorten our lives and cut them off as suddenly as the so-called accident, whereby the divine rulers terminate our life here. In other words, murder or fatal accidents brought about by human carelessness are in reality the only termination to life not planned by invisible leaders of humanity. No one is ever compelled to do murder or other evil, or there could not come to them a just retribution for their acts. The Christ said that evil must come, but woe unto him by whom it cometh. And to harmonize with the law of divine justice, as a man soweth, so shall he also reap. There must at least be absolute free will in respect to evil acts. There are also cases where a person lives such a full and good life of such vast benefit to humanity and to himself, that his days are lengthened beyond the ultimate, as they are shortened by neglect. But such cases are, of course, too few to allow of their being dwelled upon at length. Where death is not sudden, as in the case of accidents, but occurs at home after an illness, quietly and peacefully, dying persons usually experience a falling upon them as a pall of great darkness shortly before termination of life. Many pass out of the body under that condition, and do not see the light again until they have entered the superphysical realms. There are many other cases, however, where the darkness lifts before the final release from the body. Then the dying person views both worlds at once, and is cognizant of the presence of both dead and living friends. Under such circumstances it very often happens that a mother sees some of her children who have gone before, and she will exclaim joyously, Oh, there's Johnny standing at the foot of my bed. My, but hasn't he grown? The living relatives may feel shocked and uneasy, thinking the mother suffering from hallucinations, while in reality she is more clear-sighted than they. She perceives those who have passed beyond the veil, who have come to greet her, to help her, and to make herself at home in the new world she is entering. Each human being is an individual, separate and apart from all others, and as experiences in the life of each differ from those of all others in the interval from the cradle to the grave, so we may also reasonably infer that the experience of each spirit vary from those of every other spirit when it passes through the gates of birth and death. What we print purports to be a spirit message, communicated by the late Professor James of Harvard, at the Boston Spirit Temple, and in which he describes sensations he felt when passing through the gate of death. We do not vouch for its authenticity, as we have not investigated the matter personally. Professor James had promised to communicate after death with his friends in life, 
and the whole world of psychic research was and still is on watch for a word from him several mediums have claimed that professor james has communicated through them but the most remarkable are those given through the boston spirit temple as follows and this is death only to fall asleep only to awaken in the morning and to know that all is well i am not dead only arisen i only know that i experienced a great shock through my entire system as if some mighty bond had been rent asunder for a moment i was dazed and lost consciousness when i awakened i found myself standing beside the old body which had served me faithfully and well to say that i was surprised would only inadequately express the sensation that thrilled my very being and i realized that some wonderful change had taken place suddenly i became conscious that my body was surrounded by many of my friends and an uncontrollable desire took possession of me to speak and touch them that they might know that i still lived drawing a little nearer to that which was so like and yet unlike myself i stretched forth my hand and touched them but they heeded me not then it was the full significance of the great change that had taken place flashed upon my newly awakened senses then it was that i realized that an impenetrable barrier had separated me from my loved ones on earth and that this great change had taken place was indeed death a sense of weariness and longing for rest took possession of me i seemed to be transported through space and i lost consciousness to awaken in a land so different and yet so similar to the one which i had lately left it was not possible for me to describe my sensations when i again regained consciousness and realized that though dead i was still alive when i first came conscious of my new environment i was resting in a beautiful grove and was realizing as never before what it was to be at peace with myself and all the world i know that only with the greatest difficulty shall i be enabled to express to you my sensations when i fully realized that i had awakened to a new life all was still no sound broke the silence darkness had surrounded me in fact i seemed to be enveloped in a heavy mist beyond which my gaze could not penetrate soon in the distance i discerned a faint glimmer of light which slowly approached me and then to my wonder and joy i beheld the face of her who had been my guiding star in the early days of my earth life one of the saddest sights witnessed by the seer at a deathbed is the tortures to which we often subject our dying friends on account of ignorance of how we care for them in that condition we have a science of birth obstetricians who have been trained for years in their profession and have developed a wonderful skill assist the little stranger into this world we have also trained nurses attendant upon mother and child the ingenuity of brilliant minds is focused upon the problem of how to make maternity easier neither pains nor money are spared in these beneficent efforts for one whom we have never seen but when the friend have a lifetime the man who has served his kind well and nobly in profession state or church is to leave the scene of his labors for a new field of activity when the woman who has labored to no less good purpose in bringing up a family and taking part in the world's work has to leave that home and family when one we have loved all our lives is about to bid us final farewell we stand by utterly at a loss how to help perhaps we even do the very things most detrimental to the comfort and welfare of the departing one probably there is no form of torture more commonly inflicted upon the dying than that which is caused by administering stimulants 
such potions have an effect of drawing a departing spirit into its body with the force of a catapult to remain and to suffer for some time longer investigators of conditions beyond have heard many complaints of such treatment when it is seen that death must inevitably ensue let not selfish desire to keep a departing spirit a little longer prompt us to inflict such tortures upon it the death chamber should be a place of the utmost quiet a place of peace and of prayer for at that time and for three and one-half days after the last breath the spirit is passing through a gethsemane and needs all the assistance that can be given the value of the life that has just been passed depends greatly upon the conditions which then prevail about the body yes even the conditions of its future life are influenced by our attitude during that time so that if ever we were our brother's keeper in life we are a thousand times more so at death post-mortem examinations embalming and cremation during the period mentioned not only disturb the passing spirit mentally but are productive of a certain amount of pain for there is a slight connection with the discarded vehicle if sanitary laws require us to prevent decomposition while thus keeping the body for cremation it may be packed in ice till the three and one-half days have passed after that time the spirit will not suffer no matter what happens to the body the panorama of a past life no matter how long we may keep the spirit from passing out however at last there will come a time when no stimulant can hold it and the last breath is drawn then the silver cord of which the bible speaks and which holds the higher and lower vehicles together snaps in the heart and causes that organ to stop that rupture releases the vital body and that with the desire body and mind float above the visible body for from one to three and one-half days while the spirit is engaged in reviewing the past life an exceedingly important part of its post-mortem experience upon that review depends its whole existence from death to a new birth the question may arise in the student's mind how can we review our past life from cradle to grave when we do not even remember what we did a month ago and to form a proper basis for our future life this record ought to be very accurate but even the best memory is faulty we can understand the difference between the conscious and subconscious memory in the manner in which the latter operates the difficulty vanishes the difference and the manner in which the subconscious memory keeps an accurate record of our life experiences may be best understood by an illustration as follows when we go into a field and view the surrounding landscape vibrations in the ether carry to us a picture of everything within the range of our vision it is as sad as it is true however that we have eyes and see not as the saviour said vibrations impinge upon the retina of our eyes even to the smallest details but they usually do not penetrate to our consciousness and therefore are not remembered even the most powerful impressions fade in course of time so that we cannot call them back at will when they are stored in our conscious memory when a photographer goes afield with his camera the results which he obtains are different the ether vibrations emanating from all things upon which his camera is focused transmit to the sensitive plate an impression of the landscape true to the minutest detail and mark this well this truth and accurate picture is in no wise dependent on whether the photographer is observant or not it will remain upon the plate and may be reproduced under proper conditions 
such is the subconscious memory and it is generated automatically by each of us during every moment of time independently of our volition in the following manner from the first breath which we draw after birth to our last dying gasp we inspire air which is charged with the pictures of our surroundings and the same ether which carries that picture to the retina of our eye is inhaled into our lungs where it enters our blood thus it reaches the heart in due time in the left ventricle of that organ near the apex there is one little atom which is particularly sensitized and which remains in the body all through life it differs in this respect from all other atoms which come and go for it is the particular property of god and of a certain spirit this atom may be called the book of the recording angel for as the blood passes through the heart cycle after cycle the pictures of our good and evil acts are inscribed thereupon in the minutest detail this record may be called the subconscious memory it forms the basis of our future life when reproduced as a panorama just subsequent to death by removal of the seed atom which corresponds to the sensitized plate in a camera the reflecting ether of a vital body serves as a focus and as the life unrolls slowly backwards from death to birth the pictures thereof are etched into the desire body which will be our vehicle during our sojourn in purgatory and the first heaven where evil is eradicated and good assimilated so that in a future life the former may serve as a conscience to withhold the man from repeating mistakes of the past and the latter will spur us to greater good a phenomenon similar to the panorama of life usually takes place when a person is drowning people who have been resuscitated speak of having seen their whole life in a flash that is because under such conditions the vital body also leaves the dense body of course there is no rupture of the silver cord or life could not be restored unconsciousness follows quickly in drowning while in the usual post-mortem review the consciousness continues until the vital body collapses in the same manner that it does when we go to sleep then the consciousness ceases for a while and the panorama is terminated therefore also the time occupied by the panorama varies with different persons according to whether the vital body was strong and healthy or had become thin and emaciated by protracted illness the longer the time spent in review and the more quiet and peaceful the surroundings the deeper will be the etching which is made in the desire body as already said that has a most important and far-reaching effect for then the sufferings which the spirit will realize in purgatory on the count of bad habits and misdeeds will be much more keen than if there is only a slight impression and in a future life the still small voice of conscience will warn so much more incessantly against mistakes which caused sufferings in the past when conditions are such at the time of death that the spirit is disturbed by outside conditions for instant the din and turmoil of a battle the harrowing conditions of an accident or the hysterical wailings of relatives the distraction prevents it from realizing an appropriate depth in the etching upon the desire body consequently its post-mortem existence becomes vague and insipid the spirit does not harvest fruits of experience as it should have done had it passed out of the body in peace and under normal conditions it would therefore lack incentive to good in a future life and miss the warning against evil which a deep etching of the panorama of life would have given 
Thus its growth would be retarded in a very marked degree, but the beneficent powers in charge of evolution take certain steps to compensate for our ignorant treatment of the dying and other untoward circumstances mentioned. What these steps are, we shall discuss when considering the life of children in heaven. For the present, let it be sufficient to say, that in God's kingdom every evil is always transmuted to a greater good, though the process may not be at once apparent. Purgatory During life, the collapse of the vital body at night terminates our view of the world about us, and causes us to lose ourselves in unconsciousness of sleep. When the vital body collapses, just subsequent to death, the panorama of life is terminated. We also lose consciousness for a time which varies according to the individual. A darkness seems to fall upon the spirit. Then after a while it wakes up and begins dimly to perceive the light of the other world, but is only gradually accustomed to the altered conditions. It is an experience similar to that which we have when coming out of a darkened room into sunlight which blinds us by its brilliancy until the pupils of our eyes have contracted so that they admit a quantity of life bearable to our organism. If under such condition we turn momentarily from the bright sunlight and look back into the darkened room, objects there will be much more plain to our vision than things outside which are illumined by the powerful rays of the sun. So it is with the spirit. When it has first been released from the body, it perceives sights, scenes, and sounds of the material world which it has just left, much more readily than it observes the sights of the world it's entering. Wordsworth, in his Ode to Immortality, noted a similar condition in the case of newborn children, who are all clairvoyant and much more awake to the spiritual world than to this present plane of existence. Some lose the spiritual sight very early. Others retain it for a number of years, and a few keep it all through life. But as the birth of a child is a death in the spiritual world, it retains the spiritual sight for a time. So also death here is a birth upon the spiritual plane, and the newly dead retain a consciousness of this world for some time subsequent to demise. When one awakens in the desire world after having passed through aforementioned experiences, the general feeling seems to be one of relief from a very heavy burden, and feeling perhaps akin to that of a diver encased in a heavy rubber suit, a weighty brass helmet upon his head, leaden soles under his feet, and heavy weights of lead upon his breast and back, confined his operations on the bottom of the ocean by a short length of air tube, and able only to move clumsily with difficulty. When after the day's work such a man is hauled to the surface and divests himself of his heavy garments, and he moves about with the facility we enjoy here, he must surely experience a feeling of great relief. Something like that is felt by the spirit when it has been divested of the mortal coil, and is able to roam all over the globe instead of being confined to the narrow environment which bound it upon earth. There is also a feeling of relief for those who have been ill. Sickness, such as we know it, does not exist there. Neither is it necessary to seek food and shelter, for in that world there is neither heat nor cold. Nevertheless, there are many in the purgatorial regions who go to all bothers of housekeeping, eating and drinking, just as we do here. Georges du Maurier, in his novel, Peter Ibbotson, gives a very good idea of this condition in the life lived between the hero and the Countess of Towers. This novel also illustrates splendidly what has been said of the subconscious memory, 
for George de Maurier has somewhere somehow discovered an easy method which anyone may apply to do what he calls dreaming true. By taking a certain position in going to sleep, it is possible, after a little practice, to compel the appearance, in a dream, of any scene in our past life which we desire to live over again. The book is well worth reading on that account. When a fiery nebula has formed in the sky and commences to revolve, a little matter in the center where motion is slowest commences to crystallize. When it has reached a certain density, it is caught in the swirl, and whirled nearer and nearer to the outward extremity what has by that time become the equator of a revolving globe. Then it is hurled into space and discarded from the economy of the revolving sun. This process is not accomplished automatically, as scientists would have us believe. An assertion which has been proven in the Rosicrucian Cosmoconception and other places in our literature. Herbert Spencer also rejected the nebular theory because it required a first cause, which he denied. Though unable to form a better hypothesis of the formation of solar systems, but it is accomplished through the activity of a great spirit which we may call God, or by any other name we choose. As above, so below, says the hermetic axiom. Man who is a lesser spirit also gathers about him spirit substance, which crystallizes into matter and becomes the visible body which the spiritual sight reveals as placed inside an aura of finer vehicles. The latter are in constant motion. When the dense body is born as a child, it is extremely soft and flexible. Child, youth, maturity, and old age are but so many different stages of crystallization, which goes on until at last a point is reached where the spirit can no longer move the hardened body, and is thrown out from the spirit as the planet is expelled from the sun. That is death, the commencement of a disrobing process which continues in purgatory. The low evil passions and desires we cultivated during life have crystallized the desire stuff in such a manner that that also must be expelled. Thus the spirit is purged of evil under the same law that the sun is purged of the matter which later forms a planet. If the life lived has been a reasonably decent one, the process of purgation will not be very strenuous, nor will the evil desires thus expurgated persist for a long time after having been freed but they quickly disintegrate. If, on the other hand, an extremely vile life has been led, the part of the expurgated desire nature may persist even into the time when the spirit returns to a new birth for further experience. It will then be attracted to him and haunt him as a demon, inciting him to evil deeds which he himself abhors. The story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is not a mere fanciful idea of Robert Louis Stevenson but is founded upon facts well known to the spiritual investigators. Such cases are extremes, of course, but they are nevertheless possible, and we have unfortunately laws which convert such possibilities to probabilities in the case of certain classes of so-called criminals. We refer to laws which decree capital punishment as penalty of murder. When a man is dangerous, he should of course be restrained, but even apart from the question of the moral right of a community to take the life of any one, which we deny, society by its very act of retaliatory murder defeats the very end it would serve. For if the vicious murderer is restrained under whatever discipline is necessary in a prison for a number of years until his natural death, he will have forgotten his bitterness against his victim and against society, 
and when he stands as a free spirit in the desire world he may even by prayer have obtained forgiveness and have become a good christian he will then go on his way rejoicing and will in the future life seek to help those whom he hurt here when a society retaliates and puts him to a violent death shortly after he has committed the crime he is most likely to feel himself as having been greatly injured and not without cause then such a character will usually seek to get even as he calls it he will go about for a long time inciting others to commit murder and other crimes then we have an epidemic of murders in a community a condition not infrequent the regicide in servia shocked the western world by wiping out an entire royal house in a most shockingly bloody manner and the minister of the interior was one of the chief conspirators later he wrote his memoirs and therein he writes that whenever the conspirators had tried to win any one as a recruit they always succeeded when they burned incense he did not know why but simply mentioned it as a curious coincidence to the mystic investigator the matter is perfectly clear we have shown the necessity of having a vehicle made of the materials of any world wherein we wish to function we usually obtain a physical vehicle by going through the womb or perhaps in a few special cases from a particularly good materializing medium but where it is only necessary to work upon the brain and influence someone else to act we need but a vehicle made of such ether as may be obtained from fumes of many different substances each kind attracts different classes of spirits and there is no doubt that the incense burned at meetings where the conspirators were successful was of a low and sensual order and attracted spirits who had a grudge against humanity in general and the king of servia in particular these malcontents were unable to injure the king himself but used a subtle influence which helped the conspirators in their work the released murderer who has a grudge against society on account of his execution may enter low gambling saloons where the fumes of liquor and tobacco furnish ample opportunity for working upon the class of people who congregate in such places and the man whose spiritual sight has been developed is often sadly impressed when he sees the subtle influences to which those who frequent such places are exposed it is a fact of course that a man must be of low caliber to be influenced by low thoughts and that it is impossible to incite a person of benevolent character to do murder unless we put him into a hypnotic sleep as to make a tuning fork which vibrates to c sing by striking another attuned to the key of g but the thoughts of both living and dead constantly surround us and no man ever thought out a high spiritual philosophy under the influence of tobacco fumes or while imbibing alcoholic stimulants were capital punishment newspaper notoriety of criminals the manufacture of liquor and tobacco eliminated from society the gun factories would soon cease to advertise and go out of business along with most of the locksmiths the police force would decrease so would jails and taxes would be correspondingly minimized when a person enters purgatory he is exactly the same person as before he died he has just the same appetites likes and dislikes sympathies and antipathies as before there is one important difference however namely that he has no dense body herewith to gratify his appetites the drunkard craves drink in fact far more than he did in this life but has no stomach which can contain liquor and cause chemical combustion necessary to bring about the state of intoxication in which he delights 
he may and does enter saloons where he interpolates his body into the body of a physical drunk so that he may obtain his desires at second hand as it were he will incite his victim to drink more and more yet there is no true satisfaction he sees the full glass upon the counter but his spirit hand is unable to lift it he suffers tortures of tantalus until in time he realizes the impossibility of gratifying his base desire then he is free to go on so far as that vice is concerned he has been purged from the evil without intervention of an angry deity or a conventional devil with hail's flames and pitchfork to administer punishment but under the immutable law that as we sow so shall we reap he has suffered exactly according to his vice if his craving for drink was of a mild nature he would scarcely miss the liquor which he cannot there obtain if his desires were strong and he simply lived for drink he would suffer veritable tortures of hell without need of actual flames thus the pain experienced in eradication of his vice would be exactly commensurate with the energy he had expended upon contracting the habit as the force wherewith a falling stone strikes the earth is proportionate to the energy expended in hurtling it upwards into the air yet it is not the aim of god to get even love is higher than law and in his wonderful mercy and solicitude for our welfare he has opened the way of repentance and reform whereby we may obtain forgiveness of sin as taught by the lord of love the christ not indeed contrary to law for his laws are immutable but by application of a higher law whereby we accomplish here that which would otherwise be delayed until death and forced the day of reckoning the method is as follows in our explanation concerning the subconscious memory we noted that a record of every act thought and word is transmitted by air and ether into our lungs hence to the blood and finally inscribed upon the tablet of the heart a certain little seed atom which is thus the book of recording angels it was later explained how this panorama of life is etched into the desire body and forms the basis of retribution after death when we have committed a wrong and our conscience accuses us in consequence and this accusation is productive of sincere repentance accompanied by reform the picture of that wrong act will gradually fade from the record of our life so that when we pass out at death it will not stand accusingly against us we noted that the panorama of life unwinds backwards just after death later in the purgatorial life it again passes before the spiritual vision of the man who then experiences the exact feeling of those whom he has wronged he seems to lose his own identity for the time being and assumes the condition of his one-time victim he experiences all the mental and physical suffering himself which he inflicted upon others thus he learns to be merciful instead of cruel and to do right instead of wrong in a future life but if he awakens to a thorough realization of a wrong previous to his death then as said the feeling of sorrow for his victim and the restitution of redress which he gives of his own free will make the suffering after death unnecessary hence his sin is forgiven end of chapter five part one Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceovers by Kirk.com.